Good morning, welcome to Pigeon Post. My name is Michael, and I'm really glad you're joining us here for John chapter 2. And uh, just a little bit of a recap and direction here. Um, John presented this really high view of Jesus in John chapter 1, specifically in the prologue. Um, he tells us that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I might have messed up a few words there, sorry. But just to get that across, John's giving us this huge, big picture of who Jesus is. And he's doing it for a reason. He says, as many as have received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. So let's hang on to John's purpose here. He's trying to show us who Jesus is and that by seeing him that we would receive him so that we could become children of God. Now the stories that we're getting into in chapter 2 are really, I think they're surprising and kind of shocking. So let's kind of keep that, that purpose in mind. There's a couple questions that we could actually kind of ask that are sort of implicit in the prologue. Um, questions that we could kind of take with us to every chapter. So we could ask, like, how is Jesus showing us the Father? How is he making God known? Because it says that he explained God in himself. Jesus being God, being the Son of God, explains who the Father is and what the Father is like. He shows us the Father. So how is he making God known? Um, another thing we could ask is, how is he showing the glory of the Son? In that verse I quoted earlier. So he's making God known. He's showing his glory. And then remember it says that grace and truth came through Jesus. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So where is the grace in this story? What, what is the truth in this story? And then if we need another question, we can go into the idea of light and life. That Jesus is the light of the world. That he's, he's shining into the darkness and the darkness is not overcoming the light. Right? That's not how it happens. When you turn on a light, the light overcomes the darkness. And um, it says that life was in Jesus. So I think there's so much rich... Um, there's such a rich idea, different ideas buried into the prologue that if you if if I'm having trouble figuring out like what why is this story here, what's it trying to say, that I can just go back to that prologue and start asking questions because John is really clear about why he's telling these stories. So um, we're about to dive into chapter two. Thanks for joining us. The Gospel of John, Chapter 2 On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, 
What does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Okay, so when Jesus shows up to a wedding, he does a sign. He makes wine out of water. What is this all about? <laughs> well, John, once again, is really clear about the effect of this sign. So that's one thing that we can look at is, what is what's the actual effect of what happens? Well, John says that this is a manifestation of the glory of Jesus. And that the effect was that his disciples believed. So Jesus gets invited to this wedding. Perhaps it was a family member's wedding or something like that. And they're generous enough to invite his disciples with him. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's in a rather humble place and and one clue of that uh, that these people might not have had a ton of money is that they run out of wine right so when we look at those questions <clears throat> like what is the grace that this story is showing us what is the truth that this story is showing us well it's showing us grace because Jesus makes it really clear that he doesn't have to do anything right and yet he does. He takes this water in these huge um, pottery, these huge vessels, and has them filled up to the brim, and he does a miracle. He turns it into wine. And so that, that was a grace in many senses. In the human sense, it was a grace because that wine that Jesus made, that miracle that he did, that was worth a lot of money. Money that the people who did the wedding clearly didn't have. So there's a grace there that he's showing us. Um, but there's also a truth that he's showing us. Um, if we were to look at 
the Old Testament and see what Moses did with water. Um, there, there's two things that are happening there. Moses turned the water into blood as a curse upon Pharaoh. It was one of the plagues. So um, that's happening there, right? But also Moses, when the Israelites needed water in the desert, um, God had him uh, hit the rock and water came out. And the second time he was supposed to speak to the rock. So there's lots of stuff going on with water here. Even in the Gospel of John, we're going to see in these first four or five chapters, many mentions of water. Um, and I'm not going to attempt to sort all of that out right now. But I just want to point out that this is a grace. This is a blessing, right? Jesus doesn't turn the water into blood. He turns it into wine. It's a super blessing. It goes above and beyond what you need to just, if you're thirsty. He's not merely providing water in the desert. He's providing a wine of celebration. So Jesus is celebrating this wedding. Now, why? <laughs> why, why might Jesus, this might seem like a frivolous story to us, you know, it doesn't seem very spiritual, right? Why would Jesus go to all this trouble of making uh, his first sign that he does just turning turning water into wine at a wedding? It seems like it, it might seem a little bit beneath him. But I think there's several things that we can that we can learn here. Number one, weddings are very important to God. God instituted marriage as a covenant between a man and a woman. And that mystery is supposed to show us, Paul says, Christ and the church. So I think it's really cool that John starts off by telling us about a wedding that Jesus went to, a party, a celebration that he went to. And it wasn't a party that was filled with drunkenness and darkness, but a party that was filled with life and light. And Jesus brings that to its pinnacle. He provides the best wine that the people have ever had at any party ever. Jesus does it at a time when they least expect it. He's giving us a glimpse, just this little um, taste of his glory, of the way that he works. And if you read something John wrote later on in the book of Revelation, um, there is going to be a wedding feast in heaven, right? It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And if we think about our desires here on earth and, and how those get fulfilled, what happens? We, we have basically the law of diminishing returns happening. Something makes us happy, and then the more that we have of that thing, the less happy that it makes us. It doesn't fulfill. But the, the opposite is happening here. And I can, I can tell you from my life, and if you know Christ, I'm sure you can tell, tell me from your life that the opposite happens. It's not a law of diminishing returns when we're celebrating life with Christ. It actually gets increasingly better. And Jesus is, is showing us that 
he is saving the best for last. So when we read the Old Testament and all these names come up about Moses and Elijah and we read the prophets and nothing seems to click, nothing seems to work. It, it just feels like it's not lasting. But then when he comes, one of the first things he does is show us that when his hour does come, he is going to bring the best of God to us. He is the, the highest. That's because he is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. So we see the grace, we see the truth in there, we see the life and the light. Jesus is showing us the heart of the Father and he's manifesting his glory. So I hope you think that's pretty cool. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the second part of John chapter 2. The Gospel of John, chapter 2, continued. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords, and drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves he said, Take these things away! Stop making my father's house a place of business! His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Hello. So, I'm not sure which story you find more shocking or if you find them both equally shocking, but Jesus just made wine, a lot of wine, at a wedding. <laughs> and then Jesus makes a whip in the temple and overturns the tables, which kind of strikes me as like a good story. You know, it's kind of an exciting, good story. But 
I don't want to get caught up in that because this is actually a very sad moment, right? That Jesus is zealous or jealous for his father's name. He's jealous that God would not be worshipped in sincerity. And he sees what's happening here that the people are doing things out of habit. They're doing things with money as the primary um, objective. I mean, they're not necessarily not doing what God said to do, right? Although maybe they're not following all the prescriptions of where the tables are supposed to be. They are selling animals for sacrifice. It's the Passover. The Passover is there. People are there to do things. But Jesus knows that what's happening there is not clean. It's not the way that things should be happening. Um, so he overturns the tables. He's full of righteous anger. And that's because when we worship God, God wants our hearts. And Jesus has a way of getting to the heart of the matter. In fact, it tells us in the, later in the chapter that he knows what's inside the heart of a man. Now, what's interesting is the religious leaders, when they see him doing this, they want to know what gives him the right to do that. Like, what gives you the right to walk into the temple, this holy place? You're not one of the religious leaders here. And you start turning things over and claiming that it's your father's house. You can't just do that. And Jesus says something really shocking. He says, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they had no idea what he was talking about. But he was talking about, John tells us that he was talking about his body. That his body is actually the new temple. That people, once he died and rose again, were not going to um, meet God in the temple, but that we're going to meet God by going to Christ, by going through Christ. And it shows the characteristic of the church. You know, we build nice churches and, um, and buildings, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that is not the place where we have fellowship with the Father. The place that we, where we have fellowship with the Father is now in Jesus. Jesus is the temple. And once again, that throws us back to some of the last chapters in Revelation. So just like we could look at the last chapters in Revelation to see the wedding feast that's going to happen um, when Christ comes back, we also see that he is the fulfillment of the temple. And so um, John wrote the book of Revelation. So it's really cool that John's putting these stories in there side by side, and they're very closely found in Revelation as well. Um, so remember, John's trying to show us who Jesus is. And Jesus is the groom at the wedding, okay? The church is going to be his bride. Jesus is the temple where true worship in spirit and in truth and true sincerity 
is going to happen to the Father. Um, so I think that's about all we need to say there, except that that last part leads us right into the next chapter, into chapter 3. So Jesus, it says that he knows what's in a man. And you're going to see like something that seems contradictory as we're reading John that John is going to tell us that these people believed, and then those people that believed just a second ago, seems like, turn away and go away from Jesus. And so something has to happen to solidify that belief. Something has to happen on the inside. And John's kind of foreshadowing something that really needs to happen for that belief to be real and take root. It has to be an ongoing belief. So even though people said they believed in him and maybe believed in him a little bit, Jesus, it says, didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was inside of a man. So I want to encourage you and myself to not just read the Bible just for the facts and the cool story, but Jesus knows what's inside of us as we're reading. He knows um, what's inside of our hearts and scripture has a way of getting down in there. And so the, the response here, let's not leave off the response as we're reading. The response is to pray, is to go to, to the Father through the Son and to let God deal with those things in our heart. And we'll see more tomorrow about what Jesus says about that. So thank you for joining us. I hope you have a lovely day. And we'll see you in chapter 3 tomorrow.